0: Yo, welcome to another iAnimate podcast. I'm your host, Larry Vasquez, and joining me, as always, my partner in crime, Rick Arroyo. How you doing, man? Doing great.
1: Peace out. What's up, everybody? Yeah,
0: all right. (laughs) Coming down to the end of the new year here. We're getting uh, out a couple more podcasts before then, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this has been a blast. This has been great. I mean, this is a lot of podcasts, to be honest with you, but it's been (laughs) awesome. And I love doing these.
0: They have been fun, man. They have been fun. We've already got a good lineup squared away for the start of next year and uh, looking for some new uh, interviewees. So it should be a lot of fun
1: yeah let, let me just say really also we have a lot of friends out there in the industry if there's anyone from a certain studio doesn't matter what studio, if you wanted like hey share a great story or share some something interesting feel free to to reach out if, if we can make it happen you know I, I i personally i would love to so just email us at what it's uh, news at ianime.net
0: yeah either that or you can go to the website and do the contact form on there that's actually rick that's a that's a great point we've like we've mentioned before we've got a lot of talent at our disposal here at ianimate and so we've had a a really an opportunity to get a lot of these people in or even lined up but like we started out with these podcasts we we love animation and so we want to talk about animation and talk about games and so yeah anybody out there doesn't have to be necessarily part of ianimate we'd like to talk with you and get you on here
1: yeah absolutely
0: So, good point well, we got, it should be another fun and entertaining. I like the two combinations, the, the entertainment part of our podcast and the, I don't know if I want to call it educational, but informative, you know, part of our podcast. And so I think we, we have another good one here because we've been able to get a guy by the name of Daryl Purdy. Quite a neat background in his games career here. And so we're going to pull him on here as well. You yeah, ready? Yeah. So let's do this. All right. Let's get our guest on here. Hello. Daryl, how are you? good how are you doing very well it's very nice to meet you you too all right well we are recording just to, to let you know sometimes we've caught some of our guests off guard <laughs> <laughs> no problem <laughs> well we do really appreciate your time and joining us here I know it's a little bit later there uh, you're up in uh, Quebec is that correct
2: yes I am yeah. snowy Quebec we've gotten snow in the last couple of days so
0: all right do you enjoy that
2: I do if I can get out on the hills. All right, right if I can't, I kind of hate it. <laughs>
0: snowboard or skis? I snowboard. Okay, right on. Very nice, cool. Nice. And then you're yeah, familiar with my partner in crime, Rick Arroyo, here?
2: I am, yes. We just had a, a bit of a conversation before this.
1: Too. Yeah, we're good. make sure he's, he's ready for this. He's, he's, <laughs> he's ready to go. <laughs> you know, it's going to be awesome.
0: <laughs> well, like I said, I really do appreciate your time in this. These have been a lot of fun and, uh, I think, informative. So we're looking for another uh, exciting show.
2: Great. I look forward to it.
0: Well, why don't you tell us a little about yourself?
2: Uh, um, where to begin? Um,
0: Looking at your bio, looks like you got about 13-plus years under your belt here, huh?
2: Yeah, I have, I guess. Uh, yeah, about 13-plus. I, I kind of started uh, – I went to school at this kind of little um, school on the east coast of Canada, um, and I took 3D animation. It was basically because I, uh, when I was younger, I walked out of Jurassic Park, and I was kind of like, oh, my God. They actually created dinosaurs, you know, <laughs> amber and mosquitoes. Who would have thought of that? So uh, I, I kind of thought, how do I do that? It went a few years, and then a friend of mine had started out, or uh, had taken a course at this little known animation school. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do that. Um, and from there, I I got my first start in television, doing um, well, doing kind of like theater promos, and um, and then on to like Saturday morning cartoon stuff. Oh, right really? on. Which was a lot of fun Um, and then kind of ended my television career doing uh, a sci-fi show called Lex the Dark Zone which uh, was uh, somewhat of an acquired taste but it was a great crew to work with. And from there, I made the jump into games. At that time, Ubisoft was kind of making a name for itself in Montreal. For some reason, my family has kind of a, I don't know, a history with Montreal. Like uh, four out of the five kids have lived in Montreal at some point. So (laughs) it's like a rite of passage. I moved there, and uh, I guess I walked the streets to try to find a a gig. And um, I kind of got my first, I cut my teeth, I guess, at, uh, it was A2M, but now it's Behavior Interactive. Okay. Um, I spent the better part of four years, almost five years there, and then I kind of did a small stint in the film industry, but at that time, the film industry was going through a bit of a rocky stage in Montreal. I kind of went back into games and headed uh, across the ocean to uh, Pandemic Australia. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. That was kind of a, a, a kind of a lifestyle choice and a career choice. I mean, I had a couple of friends that were working at Pandemic, and they said, "Oh, this a great crew over here, and uh, you know, it's there's a lot of sun, beach, surfing." So uh, you know, <laughs> can't she, go she, wrong. She come over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was thinking, like, well, "Geez, how am I going to get any work done?"
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so uh, yeah, so then I went to Pandemic. Um, sadly, EA ended up closing that studio shortly after that. Um, But I was lucky to get on at THQ, and I was able to stay in Australia for a little bit longer. Um, But then, uh, you know, various things, family ties, and kind of, you know, um, I started talking with Ubisoft, and that's when I uh, came back for Far Cry 3. Um, And I mean, we just shipped that not too long ago, and now I've moved on to uh, Warner Brothers. Okay. Now, what are you doing at Warner Brothers? I'm an animation director. Okay. at Warner Brothers, yeah, um, but I, I probably have a, a, a similar role to what I had at Ubisoft in that um, I'll be doing animation direction, and I'll also be doing some focus on cinematics as well, cinematic direction.
0: Can you describe to us what an animation director would do?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, from studio to studio, it, it, it sometimes varies a little bit, but generally, um. Like say on, on Far Cry 3, you know, as an animation director, I'm, I'm responsible for pretty much all animation in the game. So, and a lot of that is setting the, the style of animation or, or the direction in which we'll go and making sure that, um, I guess, within, you know, um, gameplay and NPC or non-player animation and cinematics, there's a cohesive kind of vision across the board. Um, so really it's, it's kind of like the, I guess the, the holistic gatekeeper for the animation I- inside the game.
0: Now, do you get to animate much when you're doing that or is you're just basically directing and overseeing?
2: Uh, I don't get to animate as much as I'd like to.
0: Okay. But you do get some. Okay.
2: <laughs> I, I do. I, I, I would say once you're in production, no, I don't animate really at all. Um, I would say the stage that I'm in currently at Warner brothers right now is um, is when I would get to animate the most and that's really in the exploration phase. Now it's, it's funny cause I was talking with guys at work the other day and it's been a while since I've been in this part of production, like we're in concept phase, right? So for the last probably six years, I've kind of jumped into pre-prod or production. So you kind of like have to hit the ground running, you know, it's kind of like, okay, go, 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 go. But now I'm lucky, um, with uh, with the project we're on at warner's is that i get to do a bit of concept phase so um what's nice is now's the time when i get to explore some animation myself you okay. know it's- kind of play around you know see what works for the characters maybe do you know um, character tests on a few of our main characters and this way I can kind of myself find what's gonna work and what's not gonna work and hopefully by the time we we staff up with animators I'll have like the Bible ready and say okay look this is what works this is what I like you know let's try to stay away from this
0: Yeah, we had a chance to uh, get my brother, actually, Daryl Vasquez, who was one of our first graduate alumni, who works over at Insomniac, with one of his co-workers who's actually an Animate student. And we're just kind of talking about some of that kind of stuff, though, where he was first introduced to some of these characters like Ratchet and Clank, and not knowing who they were, you know, and having to jump into there kind of blindly going, okay, well... Yeah, I know how to animate, but it's like they go, okay, well, yeah, but he wouldn't do this or he wouldn't animate like that. But you're getting to be on the other end where you're developing some of that and, in, in a sense, creating this character, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. This is this is kind of how I like to approach it. Is <clears throat> I guess like depending on 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 which way our game goes. We may have kind of multiple playable characters, Um, so myself, of course, I want each of these characters to feel somewhat unique, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, I guess, it's it's kind of like similar to, I guess, back in the Disney days when they would design the character, they would figure out a shorthand for what makes that character, so so you know, multiple artists could draw it. I guess. I can equate it to kind of that. It's like, um, an animation shorthand in a way to say like, okay, for, for character X, he moves like this, he's gonna, he's never gonna turn too fast. He's always gonna, you know, it's so you just kind of like go through the paces and find out what works for, um, for each character, mm-hmm. which is really exciting right now, because like I said, I, I, it's been a while since I've had the, the, the kind of time, and I guess we don't have as much time as, as say, a film to explore characters, but this is kind of a, a nice thing to start off a project where you can get in there right when characters are being concepted by the art team and kind of be able to say, when they're designing character, I get to have the luxury of saying like, okay, well, you know, this, this thing you put on a shoulder, this is probably gonna cause issues in this range of motion. So it's really the infancy stages of, of character development, I guess,
0: for yeah, the project. That's neat. One of the things that I think most of us probably enjoy about animation isn't just the technical aspects of it. You know, is it moving correctly? It's that idea that this feels like a person. I think in one of the podcasts we were talking about a story that one of our instructors, Jamal Bradley, had relayed to us from Glenn Keane, and I forget who it was, with you know Ollie Johnson or something like that. And he was, you know, kinda of excited to show him his animation and he's like, Yeah, you know, that's nice. It it looks good. He's all but it, it doesn't really entertain me. And it was that idea was that the animation was working correctly, but it wasn't entertaining because it didn't feel like a person here. And that's where I I love that you're hitting there. It's not just let's mechanically do these things right. It's let's get this character out of this, you know, this model that we have here at a T-pose, you know.
2: (laughs) Uh, Exactly. And I mean, I think it's I find it when I was a younger animator. I mean, I I still do. Like, I love looking at concept art. I love looking at any type of thing that goes into character development. I, I love looking at it because it kind of uh, invigorates me as an animator just to kind of jump in and get into the lore of a character. Mm -hmm. And I find, um, you know, especially with game animation, you're gonna spend a lot of your time doing the technical side, you know, especially with uh, a playable character where a lot of it is defined by the the, the control that the the user has. Um, So it's nice to have, I find, at the beginning of a project, a couple of exploratory animations that that an animator can go back to and look to see the kind of core of the character you know because they're you know they are going to be responsible for doing like very mechanical animations later on to make sure it works with the gameplay um and so it's always nice to reflect back on okay um you know if i have to do whatever a you know a turn 180 it's like okay at least I can go back and look at the character and say, okay, maybe I can add, like, you know, a few little things that will make it fit inside this, this character rather yeah. than just make turn around and go the other way.
0: Someone's yeah. not just starting out and just doing that same 180. They're making it for this character.
1: I, exactly. I was, I was going to say um... – just is a really quick comment um when people create game animations they think it very mechanical and very linear uh but nowadays games uh it's finding the personality in that short amount of frames and that's and i think that's the essence if you can get that character in, in you know eight frames or 15 frames or if you're lucky 30 frames that's that's going to make a, a character stand out and be more entertaining and um like like daryl was saying you know that's 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 working within the the technical side of it. You know how, you know you, yeah you do have to do be do these technical animations. You know 180 turns, but how can you make it really entertaining? Mm-hmm. And do you find that animators have a hard time doing this, Daryl? Like when you when you assign them.
2: Um, it depends. I mean, like even speaking from my history, like coming from television. Which, again, it's nowhere near film, right? You, you don't – you still have quite tight deadlines in television animation as well. Um, but it is still a bit, I think, geared more towards the the art side of it. Um, I did – when I first got into games, I struggled a little bit because, you know, I was thinking – as a lot of animators do, you know, you're always thinking about, okay, what's he thinking? What's, you know, or he or she thinking, what, what's the thought process. And, you know, you're really trying to kind of Larry, like you said before um, you're trying to kind of like think of it as a living, breathing person, which is good, but you, you tend to then maybe over animate for games where, you know, something that you could do in, in 12 frames, you take, 26, you know what I mean? Mm. And so then the controls potentially becomes sluggish. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think animators do struggle with it a bit, but I, I think it's more that, uh, I, it might be the approach in which they think about it. Um, and, and the way I see it is games, the big difference f- for me in games than in film or television is that, um, you're going to do a whole bunch of potentially little animations that are going to be cut up into various pieces. But what you tr- have to try to think about is how do those, whatever, 25 animations all fit into one cohesive character or one cohesive movement set. So if you can't get the personality into each individual animation, what you should be trying to do is thinking how it's going to link together and make sure that, that, that the essence of the character gets into the, the global move set or, or, system. Mm -hmm. I I find myself now thinking more at a system level than a a per animation level. Mm. Um, And I mean, you know, it's great now we're we're at the end of this console cycle and going into a new one. Animation has, I think, come leaps and bounds since since I started, definitely. I mean, now we're able to do a lot more stuff and I think it's only going to get better. Um, I don't know if that actually answered your question, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's,
0: it's, it's still the idea of keeping the big picture and not getting lost in the little, like you said, that short clip of an animation. It's keeping the big picture. This is a person. This is how they're supposed to act. And now when you execute that short clip of an animation, you're keeping that in mind.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think going to Rick's uh, comment is that you'd be amazed at how much personality you can get into, you know, seven frames of animation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there's a, there was an example I remember seeing of, uh, I think it was uh, uh, James Baxter when he started out with uh, Richard Williams or whatever. I think he was drawing on um, frame Roger Rabbit or whatever. And he was, I think, all of 19 or something at the time. And he had one of the shots where, um, uh, hopefully I'm remembering this correctly, but where one of the rats pushes the gas pedal or something. Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, cutting in and out just a bit.
2: Oh, sorry. Sorry, I'm getting too animated. No, there you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I'm my mic out here. Yeah,
0: we were able to hear you, um, he so you can keep going.
2: No, so, um, so he was animating one of the rats or something and pressing the – or Roger pressing the gas pedal. And it was a really short frame, and it was just a shot of the gas pedal, and his foot comes in and presses it. And uh, everybody was amazed at how amazing that shot was. But I mean, it was all of I don't know, maybe maybe like 16, 20 frames or something. You know, it's like a second. But he kind of put everything into it. So, like I say, it's amazing what you can do with a little amount of frames. You know, if you kind of put your mind to it. One of the things I'm I'm
0: kind of seeing as um, consistent across a lot of the boards with those who are, have been in games or television, like you're saying here is that you guys become very proficient in what you do. And I I was recently talking with one of our feature animation instructors, and he was talking about that one of the best animators in DreamWorks, he had about 10 years experience in the games. And so there seems to be even just that to be really concise in what you're going to do, and you have to be really conscious of that. And it kind of does help you strip away a lot of the fat from something you might normally do otherwise.
2: I think because... Well, there's two things. I mean, obviously, the time limit that you have for animations in games. Um, I guess you 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 can't help but become efficient, or you know, as an animator, because you, the turnaround time for a lot of a lot of game development is really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you're. your best friend is rapid prototyping so first you're going to bang out like uh, placeholder animations really quickly and get it in then you're going to probably test the system and then when it comes down to actually creating the final polished animation you still have a very quick time frame to do it so you end up i guess you know just training yourself to really kind of focus on what matters most
0: yeah i guess that's what i'm getting at yeah to be really conscious and focus about like you said what matters most and then when you got you know more time you're able to layer on really nicely versus just throwing a bunch of stuff at it
2: yeah and i i I would say like um i guess animating in games that's exactly it you you, i find a lot of people who are good at animating games tend to um be very good at structuring their animations. So it's almost as if they've they're trying to set themselves up um in case they get that poli- more polish time. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they're they're going to they're gonna have a process where, you know, they, they they rough something in and then they get another pass at it and they think, okay, I need to think exactly what I want to put in this because I might this might be my last crack at it. Mm-hmm. So they do it, but they set themselves up for if by chance later on it comes and says, "Oh, we have some more polish time," well, they can always jump back into that animation and be like, "Okay, now there was this this, and this. I wanted to put in, and now I'm gonna I'm gonna layer that on top." Right. So they end up being very structured that way, where they can they can always kind of iterate if they get the chance, um, which I, I think makes them very kind of practical as animators. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they kind of train their creativity to work that way. It doesn't make them any less creative. It kind of makes them just more i guess um I would say uh, more their creativity is a bit more structured. But.
0: now, let me ask you this why is it that you don't get as much time in the games for that polish i know, I know a lot of these games could end up you know making a lot of money. Why is it that they don't have that time sometimes to do the full polish that they maybe they would like to
2: i I think it's um i don't know i mean i have a theory on it i guess but my 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 theory is that games is such an iterative process that um you you never really know how something is going to turn out exactly like you you can have a theory or you can have a plan for what you want to do let's say with a, a movement system right and uh You know, you you approach it, you start it, but once you start playing it, you're going to find out that what you thought might work here didn't work. So then you go back and you kind of adjust and then you play it again and then you think, okay, well, that was cool. But, you know, uh, maybe I need to add, you know, a transition to to this state, this state and this state. So then you add the transitions. And so really what you're doing is in a way you're kind of um, it's almost like a it's weird. Your animation is somewhat structured but the way you're developing uh the the movement system or any system is a bit of a like a a straight ahead approach kind of like getting it the animation putting it in testing it readjusting to what you found in the control so i think because that happens a lot in games and and in the end your game and your animation is only as good as how it feels in someone's hands Mm -hmm. it's constantly in development it's not like okay we've got our camera lock this is the layout you know he says this line and now okay do the performance right it's really kind of like okay uh, my animations in play test mm-hmm. okay I've- and then the designer's like, oh, well, I, I think, you know, it feels unresponsive. So we need to cut off a few frames here. Okay. And then you do it or whatever. And then maybe it's like, oh, maybe it was too much, but it's, it's always iterative process, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's constantly evolving. And then potentially you might <clears throat> have a happy accident where something happens and it's like, oh, well, we could take that here. You and so then it. <laughs> that feature might explode into, you know, a grand feature. And then it's like, okay, so how do we fit all of that stuff into this one thing?
0: So, so basically because of the, um, human interaction, it becomes more of a dynamic process rather than a, and I want to use the term static, but compared to maybe film that you've got a a beginning, middle and end, and you've fleshed out the story with storyboards or something like that. Whereas with games, you have that human interaction that can throw in a bunch of different elements.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's because it's, like I say, it's, it's constantly evolving. Um, I mean, uh, as most of the the seasoned game animators could tell you, um, I I don't know, myself, I've probably worked on I don't know how many movement systems and not one plays probably the exact same as the other. There's always something that's maybe a bit different um, and then throw into the idea of like, you know, you're – you're not. You're not just. Your animation is not being displayed just on a 2D screen in a way. It's in a you know a 3D real time environment. So this is this is also a, a thing that kind of, for lack of a better term, throws a spanner into the works for just animation workflow. You know you're 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 going to be moving through a 3D world in real time and you know when the player wants to go left he's got to go left so it's not kind of like it, it's way less controlled than say a film or television
1: yeah i was going to say uh, for those who don't know um, a lot of these systems are being built at the same time your navigation your combat or your interactions or it's your special feature and that the, the other system might affect your, your your systems you know it might like they're like hey you know our, our system is your system is too fast for what we're trying to do can we you know slow yours down or maybe is like make, you know, like your system is too slow, it has to be faster and it will affect your animations. And with like how Daryl started, you know, uh, people don't know this and and that's why you want to hit the ground, uh, you know, running, you know, because you're constantly, even you think it's finished, it's never finished because there's always something something new. And um, how I like to see it is like a, a Rubik's Cube, you're always playing with it until you until the product <laughs> is final. So there's always this kind of like, I'm gonna turn it here, I'm gonna fix this here, but not have to come back. I have to move the system to the side for a little bit and work on something else. So you're constantly figuring things out and that's why it's it's so iterative.
0: When you say movement system, is that the same thing as the game engine or, or what is the movement system?
2: Uh, movement system is like uh, at its most basic is like idle to walk, run. You know and then maybe stop and you might want to turn or whatever but i mean then it can explode out i mean yeah. you know depending a movement system could expand into bunches of transitions like turn 90 jumps and double jumps and then climbs. cover systems and climbs and strafing and you know depending i mean so your basic movement system is but stand walk and run yeah. and then it can go anywhere from there
1: Yeah, i mean uh we I mean, I'm sure he worked, uh, they're also working crazy, like, your walk, you know, your idol can go to like a jump, and then your jump could go into dive into water, jump off the air land, uh, you could get hit in midair, and, and that's all intertwined, you know, so it, it could get extremely complex. It, it's, it's like, a, it's just like this web of, of movements that oh, just yeah. creates one like one character's complete locomotion so Mm. it's pretty it's pretty impressive
0: kind of an if then if this happens then this has to happen if that happens then that oh and uh,
2: i mean even even just in a walk like you know the player could the player will stop at any point so he might stop midway through a walk but you have two steps let's say in a walk cycle and then does he yeah left foot right foot (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, so he could fail at any time or he could turn at any time or, you know, so yeah, it it really is a good example. It's like a spider web, yeah. like It's uh, it's never just there's at any given time there can be like 10 animations playing. It gets uh, fairly complicated.
0: What is it that you most enjoy about working in games?
2: I guess uh, probably what I like the most is. What I like and probably dread the most is the 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 kind of uh, dynamic and chaotic nature of making a game. It it, it is complete collaboration. Um, you know, like like just animation alone. You know, it kind of sits in the middle of programming, design, art. it's it's, it's kind of like you always have to be talking to somebody, and you always have to be kind of like um working with someone else to figure out how to how to do something. like problem solving is' also a big thing I love about games. like you're constantly, um, you know, you constantly have, uh, things to figure out, which you know I, I quite like. I mean, if, if if I'm doing the same thing over and over again, I get bored very quickly. I probably have a form of ADHD or something. I don't know. But <laughs> I, so I, I kind of like the the, the, the ever changing nature of games and and development. At the same time, it 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 is very frustrating. <laughs> <you know? laughs>
0: so it always seems that double edged sword, though, in anything.
1: Yeah, well, I was gonna yeah. say. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, Really quickly, what I think was really cool with Daryl's point is that uh, when you work in games or or like inside the game and not not cinematics, because you could do both or if you're lucky, you could work on both teams if you know how to. Um, When you're in games, you you also kind of need to learn about the other departments, how they think and how they work so you can – so both of you can adjust to create what you need to create. So you – you understand how to think like a coder. You understand a little bit about level design and you know streaming, and you also learn about scripting and how things are triggered and how things are going to be blending. And you know you learn how like is it a in-game camera that's working or is it a camera's going to blend to a, you know animated camera. So working like in the middle of in like in games, you get to learn uh, a little bit of everyone's um, everyone's uh, profession. So I think that was kind. Of, that's kind of, and I think you need to, if you want to excel and, you know, become like this, uh, you know, a great animator, you need to have that mind thought to be able to learn and adapt what you're creating to, to the needs of each department, so.
2: I agree uh, 100%. I mean, probably one of the biggest uh, mistakes, you know, a young animator can make is that uh, he or she looks at their animation in Maya or whatever you're using, Motion Builder Max, whatever, and they animate it and they say, oh, okay, I'm done, right? And then they <laughs> they send it off into the void and then, you know, I've had this happen and then they, they come up to you like, you know, whatever, a couple days later that or a week or something that they see it in the build and they're like, oh, it looks nothing like what I did in the, you know, in, in Maya. And you're like, no. No, because Maya's <laughs> just the beginning point. You know what I mean? It's like you gotta export that, you gotta get it into the system. And then, you know, as an as a game animator, you gotta play. Like you gotta play your your stuff. Because to me I, I really put a lot of uh, of ownership on my animators to say, look guys, you should have a build running all the time. You should be knocking on the programmer or the designer's door all the time to see your stuff if if you're not implementing it yourself. Um, And because the end result, just like in film, the end result is up on the screen in games. The end result is on the gamepad in your hand, and you should be playing it and seeing what's wrong. And if there's a glitch, you figure out how to, you know, or you find somebody to help you fix it or you figure out how to fix it. So Maya or your 3D package is kind of like, the, the, the starting point and you know yeah there's there's tons I've seen tons of animations look great in, in Maya or whatever and get into a game engine and are not implemented properly or haven't been thought out correctly and they they just look bad. And they could be the best animation ever in Maya, but if it's not implemented properly or, or it doesn't fit into a system in the right way, then it's almost worthless.
1: I had a really quick question, you talked about ownership, do you, do you um, I mean each, each studio is a little bit different, but do you have your animators design the system as well as implement the system or you know, they, or is it depending on the project you're on?
2: Um, it depends, I, I think it depends on kind of multiple things. Um, that, I guess I'm going to give a bit of history here I guess. Back when I started, um, our, our company was very programmer driven not even design driven it was programmer driven and as an animator it was a little bit frustrating then because you were kind of told that okay the system is going to go in this way and you're going to give me an idle you're going to give me a walk and it can only be this long and you know so you just kind of like you were a i don't know a factory a, a movement factory um since then it's gotten a lot better i tend to like with with tools like um like yeah, I guess, Morpheme and a lot of game engines that are going to kind of node-based editors, like kind of state machines, where they give the animator a lot more freedom and a lot more control to create a system um, with basically programming support. Um, I tend to like this because I think it builds better animators because it, it goes to Rick's point where the animator becomes, in essence, a, a a couple of us were talking about that uh, at ubisoft a while ago and we called it uh, design mater right because mm-hmm. if your animation does not like i said before if your animation does not work within the the system or it, it's it's of no use so i like animators to start thinking about the system and and you know how many what animations have to break up and where do they fit into the system to create a good whatever, if it's fight system, or if it's, you know, movement, or if it's whatever climbing system, then they're thinking about designing the whole system and not just producing those, those 10 animations or those 20 animations. So I, I, I'm, I really like to try to get my, my animators in the working in the design of the system as well. Um, and I think it yields really good results. Um, but I mean, it depends on the company. I mean, there I've worked with designers who are, who are either very hands-on or kind of a bit more high level. Um, you know, some designers really like to kind of get in and and kind of say, I need, you know, these 10 moves, and they're going to go together like this. Um, and then I have designers who sometimes just say, you know, look, I, I need a, a, you know, a flight system, and he needs to be able to move left and move right. It's up to you how to do it. I tend to like that myself because I find the fun thing as an animator in games is to be able to create systems. And, and I think an animator um, is going to know kind of how to make stuff move the best it can. Now, I mean, there's always you need input from everybody else to make sure that you're not like I say, not over animating something and taking too much time. Like control is always a big thing, but I think uh, the more we can let animators kind of uh, be authors of, of of systems, the better animators you're going to get in the long run. They're going to be start thinking about design and start thinking about implementation and all that stuff, and less about just the art form itself.
1: Yeah, I, I like to tell I when I no, Larry I probably heard you say this. Um, when they come, uh, the students come to our program. I tell them, you're not just an animator; you're a game developer. You need to know how to develop games or how to design these systems, how a flow chart works or how a logic chart works, or you know, the understand the inputs. and It's not just, hey, I'm coming to do games. I'm going to learn how to do animate. It's, like you said, it, the animation in Maya—that's not the end result. It's the end result is is the, the the player's input. And I just want to iterate. Like, yeah, you are more than just an animator, but you're also a developer when you when you when you work in games, of course. So.
0: One of the things I'm liking that I'm hearing from you is just like you're talking about what you're expecting out of your animators. And I, I apologize because we forgot to mention at the beginning of, of the podcast that Daryl will be joining our animate games team next year and will be one of our games instructor. I'm really looking forward to that. What are you looking forward to, maybe most about taking what you've you know you do in the industry now and adapting that to your teaching with your students here?
2: Um, yeah, I guess, well, Rick and I were talking a little bit about this before I was going down memory lane, and I was thinking about, I was saying that I, I watched the the latest uh, games, reel, uh-huh. anime games Reel, and I was blown away by <laughs> the caliber of what's there, right? Because I was saying, like, when I came out of my course, you know, it was a 3D animation course, but it, it, it basically taught you how to use a 3D software. didn't teach you really to animate or anything. so. All the character animation and, and and stuff you kind of did on your own time. Um, what I like is that, like the 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 iAnimate program for games is that, you know, these students are getting a huge leg up. Like they're they're kind of like starting out with a very sp- kind of specific skill set that's going to get them, um, you know gonna get them a great start in games. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to that. I mean, I I think programs like this are amazing because I would have loved to have something like this when I was starting out in animation. It's more kind of that. um, If anything, to tell you, to be honest, I'm I'm somewhat nervous about starting. (laughs) I was saying to Rick, like, I'm, I'm, I'm the quintessential, I don't know, not tortured artist, but insecure artist, right? I always think my stuff is never good enough, and and I said to him like, one day people are going to find out that I'm just faking, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so beware, students. Yeah. <laughs>
0: There's a lot of instructors that I've heard say that, you know. So I think that's that's actually probably real common, you know. And that's one of the things that's cool too is that we were talking about in a uh, previous podcast is there was a. um interview with Richard Lika, one of our uh, game instructors, and he was just talking about how the days of internship are kind of, he wasn't saying that they were numbered or anything along that lines, but just there, it's not always easy because you, now you've got to consider how much time and resources you have as a company to invest in somebody. And that's where he was saying a company or, or a program like I animate is a perfect opportunity for that because that's exactly what you're doing as a, as a student of animation. It's just neat for me to hear you talk about, you know, my animators as a director but now be able to apply that same kind of um feel to your students treating them as like you said like you're their director and you're going to teach that way
2: actually you know what that's a a great way of putting it in uh, it, it the way i would see it is is that i would i would feel like i would treat them like they were on the production floor mm-hmm. and i think that would give them the best education because i remember coming out of school and uh I mean it's funny because like let's say you do a 2 year program or the you know like the 2 year the program that I did well a year of on the job training felt like to me it equated to 10 years of the schooling that I got do you know what I mean yeah so uh, yeah this the 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 kind of like structure of i animate is great because it it kind of really is like an internship mm-hmm. and you know it's kind of like this is how you are going to get um i guess directed on the production floor in a game mm-hmm. studio which is crucial because it already establishes kind of workflows and and you know kind of ways of thinking and you're also going to see kind of like this is kind of the day-to-day thing that that happens in a game development studio
0: then when they actually go into a studio even though i'm sure there's probably like you're like you're saying there's insecurities but all of a sudden they kind of start feeling like hey wait a minute these are familiar terms these are familiar workflows these are familiar flow charts or whatever it might be some of that stuff starts building up that confidence because they felt like a lot of this stuff is not new to them they're they're familiar with it
2: no exactly um yeah it's a it's a, like i say it's a huge leg up um because I don't think there would be any other way to teach a program like this other than making it kind of try to reflect uh, what it is like in a studio to produce kind of the work for games. I mean, you could teach them animation skills, but if you don't teach them how to construct them and how to build them in the proper way, then they're going to go into a game studio and they're going to have to kind of they're going to have the shock that a lot of us other animators had when we first went into games that had come from kind of a different field is was like wait what what do you mean it's it's not only about animation oh okay well all right then yeah so made had to acclimatize right
0: yeah and that's what's actually been really nice having the two divisions that we have the feature division that is just really just concentrating on the the principles of animation and teaching that and in the same boat we have all of our instructors are working in the industry so it's it's very much that uh studio feel as well and even talking about at the beginning of this podcast one of the um our students who did a short film we it was a collaboration within the our, our program and so people were kind of getting that That fill, but then you have on the other end the games one where you're not not just teaching animation, you're now also teaching workflows that are specific for this field within animation.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think I think the most crucial thing I would say that you could could start to teach an animator who wants to get into games is what Rick said before is think about it like not only is animation animation is one piece of the pie that you're going to have to learn. Think about like like I say, flow charts, logic charts, like where is this one move going to go? And is it going to branch to three things? Is it going to branch to one thing? Is it going to branch to 10 things? And if it does, how does it branch? Where does it branch? You know, what do I, do I need an animation there where it branches? Or am I going to let the game engine interpolate it or blend it, you know? Um, so if you can teach them that that way of thinking, then that's probably one of the most beneficial lessons I think that they could learn.
0: One of the projects you just recently finished up here, and it looks like a big one here, obviously, (laughs) Uh, Far Cry.
2: It was was a a beast of a project. It was a big one. (laughs) Uh
0: It looks like it got really good ratings off of – I I checked out IGN.com, and they gave it some really solid ratings. So it looks like that paid off.
2: Yeah, it's – we're pretty proud of it. Honestly, I would say it's uh, it's one of the highlights of my career for sure. Um, It's uh, – It's, it, it's, I find as a commercial artist, you, you, inevitably, this is another thing. Uh, I've done a couple talks for, um, for, for some schools back in my home province whatever. And what I always try to tell uh, a lot of the artists also is that, listen, you're getting into – I know you're getting into this because you love whatever. You either love animation or you love games or you, you love movies. And that's great because that passion is going to fuel you. For the next 25-30 years if you're lucky but the one thing you have to remember as a commercial artist is that you're going to work on projects that are maybe not the most inspirational to you or that are just kind of ones that are our paycheck mm-hmm. um so when a project like far cry 3 came up and you know we're, we're seeing kind of like the fruits of our labor now it's great as a commercial artist to work on a project and have it come out and it's a project that you know you actually love yourself like it's actually in my ps3 right now and i was playing it last (laughs) night so i it's actually a game a lot of times you know you work on a project and you kind of you you're so drenched in it that you you kind of when it comes out you're kind of like oh i don't even know if i want to play that it's like i know it inside out but far cry was a was one that i was eagerly awaiting my copy and um i couldn't wait to play it so um it it was interesting like Far Cry was an interesting project for myself because i actually joined the project as um, as a lead narrative animator so that was even kind of a, a new title yeah. at the time <laughs> yeah and basically what 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 they wanted was they were looking at, at pretty much making the whole game interactive so even story moments so you would never have traditional cinematics they wanted they were potentially thinking about having interactive story elements. Um so my first mandate was to kind of figure out a system for interactive uh of narrative. Um but as a lot of people would probably tell you just that system alone is insane. You know, there's game like Heavy Rain is a game built just on that, you know what I mean? <laughs> so so uh they decided later on that it was like, okay, well, look, we're a shooter first. Let's focus shooting and all that stuff. Um, but then I, I, I kind of made the transition into animation director. Um, so I guess, I don't know. I mean, the, the thing we wanted, I, I found a first-person shooter was, was interesting to me because I had never done a first-person shooter before. I had worked on Halo 3 but only cinematics as a cinematics animator. So first-person was kind of new to me. Um, and then becoming kind of like a animation director and inheriting kind of already a year's year and a bit's worth of development. It was kind of an interesting thing to step into, but I found like, um, one of the things we really tried to focus on was, um, a lot of like third person action games, you focus on the hero character a lot and, you know, he, he or she is kind of the backbone and then you kind of build the world out around it. Whereas with the first person shooter, your hands are in the screen and your guns are obviously a big character and, you know, they have to be, you know, great and visceral and, you know, they're a character unto their own, but really a, a big focus is the combatants and the NPCs because you're really telling a lot of the story through the people you're actually shooting at so we we did a lot of work into cover systems and flinch systems and you know um like flanking and trying to really give a natural kind of life to the people you're you're engaging with so i mean you'll notice that if gunshots are going around guys you know, they're not just kind of stand, they're not just popping up at a cover and shooting at you, yeah. you know, they're, they're actually reacting to bullet fire and some of them maybe get scared and backpedal and they stumble. So we did a lot of work with like kind of adding variety into the movement system to make them feel like they're reacting to the stimuli around them. Mm. Um, so that was
0: a big challenge. Is that a difficult balance to make it feel realistic, but yet not going too far where it kind of stops the gameplay because people are just covering the whole time.
2: Yeah, I mean it is. It's it kind of grow this is where you kind of like Rick had mentioned before, you kind of have to go into other disciplines and kind of understand as well because say we have an animation system that does all of this. So, you know, if if a gunshot goes off, a guy will react to it or if a bullet goes by his head, he'll flinch and maybe duck. At the same time, you can't have everybody doing that. Right. So then on top of that, you need some type of AI management system that says, "Okay, well, when this guy is flinching and, and ducking for cover, whatever, this guy is going to be engaging me and shooting me, you know, because if I just shoot a gun and everybody runs for cover or ducks, <laughs> right. you know, it's going to be a pretty lame game. <laughs> so you kind of have to, you know, it, it's only as good as all, like all of those animations and all those systems are only as good as how they're managed to okay. the player. Um So yeah, it gets, it gets pretty complicated. Yeah. Again, it's iteration. You play it, you, you test stuff, um, but you know, that was pretty interesting. Another right. big thing we really pushed was the – I then transitioned to, to kind of a cinematic director. So then it was very um, working performance capture and stuff like that.
0: We've talked about in the podcast the use of motion capture and stuff like that, but you're now talking about performance capture. How does that work
2: with, within
0: your pipeline?
2: Um, yeah, well, actually, it's interesting because pipeline was the main reason – uh, we we kind of chose to go with the system that we did because um, when we started to look into it, like at Ubisoft, they have this this great um, system called mocam or whatever, and it's it's similar to kind of what you know what James Cameron used on Avatar, where you have a camera in front of your face and it captures facial, um, but the, the the performance capture captures facial voice. And body capture all in one sitting. So, basically, I was looking at the, the the software that they use to capture the face, and it's it's very animator friendly. So when I saw this this kind of tech, I thought, wow, okay, you know, this looks. I, I was I'm 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 a I don't know how to describe this, but I'm a very I won't say greedy, but I'm very protective animator wise. Like, I want, I want, I want animators to be able to spend as much time, you know, creating stuff. So I don't want the tools to get in the way of the animators as much as possible. Right. So this, this technology they had looked really animator friendly. So we decided to kind of, I sat with one of the writers and asked them to kind of do up a a bit of a monologue and we were going to test it with an actor. So we got an actor in to, to, do the monologue and it it turned out to be the insanity monologue that that is in our game as kind of like one of the marquee things and the thing that kind of spawned the choice of performance capture was really a pipeline issue i I wanted to make sure that it was the most animator friendly and the most easy to get into the game in the end in a way from an animation standpoint Um, but really what it is is it's kind of like our shoots are done almost like a film shoot in the way that you have actors in, we get them in, we do a bit of a rehearsal, we get them in the mocap volume and we shoot it really almost like a, a, a film. So we have the actors acting off of each other. Um, and then we get that data back, we get the facial stuff, uh, which is a video and they take it into the system. And basically what it is is the system for the facial is kind of like a, uh, a, a smart in-betweener, I call it. So you use it like facial reference, like any reference I would if I was animating. Uh-huh. And basically, you set a key pose. Let's say you're doing the mouth. You set a key pose if he's doing, an, let's say, an E. Mm-hmm. You set that and you say, okay, this is what the mouth looks like on my 3D character when he says, when it's this point in the video. And the software goes through and tries to find all of those moments where the mouth is close to that shape and it kind of fills in that shape for you. Which is kind of a nice workflow, and once you do that, it gets you about eighty percent there, and then you take it into your three D software and you do your polish pass. So it's really kind of like a you kind of have a, a digital in betweener, in a oh, way.
0: Kind of going back to a little bit of the two D days when you had you did your uh, main poses and you had an in betweener, huh?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, I don't know. I kind of got off tangent there, but uh, no,
0: it's interesting. Very interesting.
1: I think I think it's awesome because it also kind of gives you an idea of. What a a game animator can do, and you know how much he can do. You know he could work in game, he could he would work with motion capture, and then he could do cinematics and do keyframing. Like was everything motion capture, or did you also have a lot of keyframing uh, with Far Cry 3?
2: Um, we did a lot of motion capture. We even did like a, a lot of we did predominantly mostly motion capture for our NPCs as well in the game, but we did a we did keyframing over top of it. So you'd get the data, but then there was a keyframe component that goes over the top of it to make it work in the game.
1: Do you find that an animator that does that know how to keyframe well does better with motion capture, or do or you find he gets distracted with it?
2: Uh, no, I think they do. I think a, a strong keyframer is good with mocap, I find. Like, I, I found um, doing my own tests um, with mocap if you're a strong keyframer already, you're going to be able to pick out the things that you like automatically and the poses that you're going to be able to pick out the key poses that you think are working, be able to push them further um, while still maintaining some of that. Like, it, It's funny, mocap can be used in so many different ways. I know some people who use mocap pretty much straight, cleaned, whatever, and put it in. Um, I tend to like to use it as my starting point. For motion, if I'm going to use MoCap, I start there, but then I say, okay, um, where can I push this beyond what it is? Because the, the one thing that MoCap does give you is uh, as an as a animation director, the, there's two things that I find it gives me um, it gives me a baseline across the board of, I won't say quality, but of consistency. So if I have a team of animators and I have, let's say, two senior, really senior guys and, you know, maybe three intermediates and I have two or three juniors, really junior animators, mocap is a bit of the leveling field for that as a consistency thing because, um, you know, some of the junior guys may not edit the mocap as much as the senior guys, but you'll still have a baseline. So it's kind of a, it's a great way to get a consistency across the project. Mm. Uh, the other thing it offers for more senior experienced people is you get a, obviously a mocap great for getting a lot of s- somewhat little subtleties, right? Like, but it can come off stiff sometimes. So if you have a great animator, they can push the things that need to be pushed. And what comes along with that is that you get all these subtleties and, and kind of uh, intricacies that mocap gives you so in the hands of a really good keyframer mocap can look really 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 good okay question for you personal
0: what are some of your favorite titles that you've played i mean you can go way back or present
2: uh, i'll go my my one of my all-time favorites hands down is prince of persia sands of time oh yeah that was a good one yeah now i i call it like my now look i i may be doing like nostalgia look back and thinking of it being rosier than it was, but I still <laughs> played it in a long time, but I consider it to be as a game example, one of the great examples of um, good controls with with a good sense of weight and grounded character that feels like it's in its environment. It, it didn't have snappy controls, but it had a really nice rhythm. And mm-hmm. if you would spend 15, 20 minutes Moving the character around, you'd get into the prince's rhythm, and then it was one of the best control games ever. Like, it really was a nice balance between weight and momentum and responsiveness and and kind of, like, uh, uh, excitement. Mm-hmm. Really, I love, I love it as a, as a game. Yeah. Um, another, obviously, I'm a huge fan of the Uncharted series, but not necessarily, um, uh, like... I think as a whole, as an experience, right? Like their storytelling is amazing. Um, You know, the cinematics are good. And then the gameplay is good as well. So like as a whole package, I really quite like it. But I mean, I got into games because I wanted to play the action heroes that I saw growing up in movies and television. So, you know, Nathan Drake to me is like me playing a young indie. I mean, so it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Other ones, uh, obviously, Left 4 Dead is a game that I, honestly, I I just cannot, when I start playing that, put it down, because I think as a concept for a game, it's amazing. It's probably one of the best co-op games, probably one of the best applications of co-op gameplay ever done, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, and it's zombies, so who doesn't like to shoot zombies? Jack and Daxter, back in the day. Again, amazing animation and amazing control, and just... Beautiful art. Yeah, it's gorgeous. So those are some of my favorites, I guess.
0: Yeah, you got to like the games that have the uh, great art form with it too, not just the the play value.
2: Well, one thing I I find, uh, and this is a personal opinion, uh, the one thing that does kind of Frustrate me a little bit is like the big developers um, seem to be going towards, and I think it's because consoles can push bigger graphics and whatever, but they, they seem to be going down the realism realm with a lot of big titles. And um, I kind of pine for the days of, of the Jack and Daxters and of these stylized games because I think, you know, we're in a medium that you can do so much. You know, you can explore really crazy worlds. Uh, you know, I, I don't know why the, the, the need for realism and these muted worlds with like, you know, drab textures and unsaturated colors. I I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're missing out. I hope, I hope we'll have a, 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 rebirth of, of kind of, I'm not saying a rebirth of platforms or anything, but a rebirth of
0: the fantasy part of it.
2: That's it. I mean, it's, um, like, even film has not is hit or miss with with photorealism, especially mm-hmm. humans for sure. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think can go there and I, yet I, it's just the technology is not there because no matter how good a um, a model or a character looks on a still, they might be close to photoreal in their still. But as soon as it starts to move, on you know even if it moves really well, if it's not perfect, you're in the uncanny valley. Yeah. Right? what i always like is give me even a subtly stylized character you know like push the proportions slightly you know it doesn't have to be a much but it can be almost just a feeling and then when it moves almost real it's going to be that much more feeling stylize it that much to kind of start getting yourself out of that uncanny valley you just have to you know like i always say um I always use the the old man as an example. Like, if you look at a lot of older people, they tend to be caricatures of their younger self. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> and, you know, as we get older, you know, like our muscle definition kind of fades, and our noses start to look bigger, and so prominent features get even more prominent. Uh-huh. So I you know, use the old man scale on on some of these characters and kind of like pick a feature, a defining feature, and try to push it a little bit beyond what would be considered real mm-hmm. and you know and i kind of say like i promise you if that character moves close to real then it's going to feel 10 times more credible than than you know like the standard photo real person mo-capped yeah uh. so i hope i hope they do that i'm doing my part to try to push it that way but
1: right on. <laughs> <laughs> uh well i was I'm going to ask you, what do you think about sequels, games? In the game industry, we have a lot of sequels, uh, Uncharted 1, 2, 3, Devil May Cry 1, 2, 3. What's your opinion about this?
2: I don't I don't dislike it. I, I quite like sequels. It depends on how you do them. I, if you like a franchise or if you like a game, you tend to want more of it, right? It's just how you do it. Like, I, I'm a huge fan of, of, of getting into a world or an IP, so let's say I'm going to try to give an example here or whatever but let's say I played Far Cry okay Um, and our Far Cry is Jason Brody well if they wanted to go into Far Cry world again I would love it you know I love cross like uh, like crisscrossing storylines so I'd like to see more games when they do a sequel to say I think Crisis did this you played as one guy and then on one of the sequels you played as the guy that was on the other side of the island in the same invasion but you see it from this point of view now, some people argue that that's maybe a cop-out, but I tend to like it because I kind of like – I'm a comic book kid in a way, and I used to love when DC or Marvel would do the crossovers. You'd see like the story from these guys, and then they would inter, uh, intertwine with other guys. So, no, I think sequels pose a, a real opportunity to expand a game's universe or expand uh, a, an IP. You know, Why wouldn't you want to spend more time with this character?
1: yeah yeah i i I love sequels personally i love sequels i love when i if i find a game that i can really follow i just want i just want more of it and, and i hate when it ends because i'm like ah oh, i have to wait another like two two three years before i can get another one and, and it drives me nuts but i think sequels has is is you know you're you get invested into your characters and, and i agree like why not continue building in in growing with your characters or, you know, I just think it's, I just love sequels. I just wanted to get your, your point of view.
2: No, I do. I think like if you think of it in, um, in, in the, the idea of like an episodic type thing, like, you know, imagine like, you know, whatever uncharted, the first one is the first story of Nathan Drake, but then like tune in next week, folks. And then, you know, (laughs) (laughs) mean You know, I think um, there has been a history in our in our industry of, of over-milking a franchise sometimes. But I think if it's managed right, no, I mean, sequels are great. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't want to see, like, you know, you just took all the exact same mechanics and colored everything red instead of blue. Well, hold on, I'm paying 60 bucks for this. And, like, no, I mean, if you try, if you... If you have another story or another thing you want to do with that character, then yeah, do it. Game-wise, um, I think everybody who plays games probably has this feeling like when you pick up a new game, you have to learn it, right? Like it's, you, it takes – games take a longer time to get into, I find, than a movie. Like with, for myself, when I sit down to watch a movie, I'm always very excited for the opening scene because the opening scene sets the tone for me as a viewer. If they nail the opening scene or the opening sequence, then I'm, I'm hooked, I'm like, okay. But that could take 30 seconds, two minutes. A game, it's not like that, I find, because you're spending the first bit feeling the character. How does he move? Okay, what does he do? And although some of the control schemes are similar, it's always a little bit different. So it takes a while, and once you like that character, it's there's a sense of comfort when a sequel comes out because you're like ah yeah okay you're you're getting into this old pair of shoes again
0: yeah <laughs> well daryl we've taken uh, plenty of your time here and really looking forward to seeing you what you can provide here at ianimate as an instructor i think it's going to be a lot of fun and again i just looking at your experience i think it's going to really just continue to grow ianimate
2: yeah, cool. I'm super excited to join the team.
1: It's been fun, honestly, uh, to all our, our followers who are listening. I'm excited. I can't wait for Daryl to start. And we have so many great programs, you know, our feature, our games, and our rigging. I mean, and our instructors are, you know, our instructors make the program great. And it's really our students who who commit and, and put the time and effort into it that makes, that really reflects that. So, you know, this is awesome. You know, thank you, Daryl, for coming. And thank you for everyone who who makes my anime who we are so absolutely
0: all right well here's to 2013 daryl when you join us as an instructor great thanks guys all right thank you very much